Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Roar. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, joined tonight by my co-host, Matt Filippovitz. Matt, what's going on? Bill, I'm good. I'm excited that we have a returning member of our little podcast family back tonight, but I'm mostly excited to see you once again this week. You're, you, don't, you don't have to lie like that about either part of that, because the person who is joining us is our uh, dear friend, confidant, brother in podcasting, anything else you want to call him, Matt DeBear. Matt, how much are you sleeping lately? Um, it depends on the night, but not very much. <laughs> uh, those those who are uh, unaware, Matt became the second father in the Roar Lions Roar family uh, after our own Craig Fritz. Uh, Matt has uh, his his daughter Atherton Pugh De Bear is a uh, <laughs> lovely future lovely lovely future Nittany Lion who uh, is not going to Michigan State. Is that right, Matt? Um, that is the plan. <laughs> And then I saw tuition costs in state and out of state, so um, that that is is currently in flux for my currently two month old daughter. Two months old today, actually, as we're recording this. In in the immortal words of a lot of people, there's a lot of ball game left. Uh, but we will uh, do all the we we will keep you updated over the next eighteen some odd years over Matt's daughter's college decision here on the podcast. Recruiting's but, getting uh, out we're of not going. Just a little bit. James Franklin, what are you doing, my man? Uh, speaking of James Franklin, we're, you know, in, in, in kind of the doldrums of the offseason. It's a little slow. There's not too terribly much going on. All as long as you're not in Evanston. As long as... Yeah. Yeah. I was waiting I wasn't for it. Gonna, I was waiting for I it. Was, I wasn't going to say anything. Uh, but yes, uh, a lot going on in Evanston. Uh we, we're, we're not going to touch that. And so what we're going to do is we want to do a little bit of a game. It's not quite a game, but it's kind of a retrospective on James Franklin's time as the pe- head coach of the Penn State Nittany Lions. He's entering his 10th season in Happy Valley. After what happened in Evanston, uh, he's the second longest tenured head coach in the Big Ten. It, it's very possible that after, depending on what happens with this Iowa season, that at the end of the year, James Franklin going into year 11 at Penn State after this year is the longest tenured head coach in Big Ten football, which is a pretty crazy, wild thing to think about considering what Franklin's, I would say, his reputation uh, coming to Penn State was and the number of times people thought he was going to leave for other jobs. So what we wanted to do on today's episode of the podcast is, one, deal with the fly that is uh, flying around my head. I apologize for that for the YouTube viewers. But two, uh, talk about the 10 most important, the 10 most defining, however you lay it out, games of the James Franklin era at Penn State. And the way it's going to work, I put together a list where I'm doing one through five, six through 10, my list of these games, because I was the one who came up with this idea when we were trying to scramble to come up with a podcast idea. After we go through my list, The two mats are going to give any other games that might not have been on my list. And we're going to talk about what we remember about them, why they were so important, you know, what we felt at the time and what we feel now as we look back on the games. Uh, And for me, when I was putting together this list, it was tough. Uh, You know, uh, Matt DeBear is going to start with, uh, you know, he's going to be the person I go to with the first game. So we'll just take a minute here and start with you, Matt Flip, about 
when you were looking back on these games and you were looking back through a decade of James Franklin football at Penn State, were, were you kind of surprised like I was at how much cutting down on this list that you went, needed to do? Or did you have a pretty good idea after doing one scan through, all right, here are the 10 games in chronological order? It was it was a bit of both. And I think a lot of that is because I, w- I went to Penn State at a very unique time. My first year, my first season as a Penn State student was 2015. So an awful season. So I got to experience like the, the real, real down bad years of Penn State my first year. Um, and obviously I grew up in a Penn State family. I've been a fan my whole life. But then I got this like insane shot in the arm of my sophomore year being 2016. So then I had this insane high high that we're kind of still in the middle of. So it was a bit hard for me to decide like of the high high games where they ranked. But in terms of like things that made the cut, there's like very few from those first, you know, two years of the Franklin era, just because I really don't think there was anything that memorable from that. And there's also, you know, the natural bias of like, I was a student, I remember being either in the press box when I was with the blog, or in the student section for a lot of these games. Yeah, and Matt, kind of the same question to you, when you ended up sitting down and looking through, uh, looking through this list of games, were you, did you have a hard time cutting down a list? Or did you have a pretty good idea of like, these are the 10 games, maybe 12 games, I have to trim it a little bit um of games that were important to finding however you want to wanted to answer this question i started out i think i had 16 games when i first listed this out and that was just uh wins and then i went back through and i think i had another half dozen or so losses and and a lot of that was what is a defining game to me um and like matt said this has been such a um unique tenure in terms of how James Franklin started the sanctions, the roster situation, the situation he walked into versus where we are now, um, you know, entering his 10th season. It's just such a, there's such a huge swath of obviously a huge number of games to choose from, but also the situation and the expectations Mm -hmm. and everything that kind of goes into a defining game has changed so much over the nine seasons that we had to go through here that that was the challenge was I think trying to, you know, figure out what, what was a defining game? Why is it a defining game? And then kind of weeding it out Mm -hmm. from there. I did get down to 10. I will say I I ultimately got down to 10. Um, And I'm pretty confident with the list. One, one thing I will say, um, or I'll, I'll, um, if we get further, further into this, I, I did, I had a hard time with the first couple of years trying to figure out what, what is the defining game? Cause that was such a unique situation with yeah. a roster that was gutted was from a depth chart standpoint was just all over the place. Um, so 2015 army's not on your list. I'm sorry. It's <laughs> <laughs> oh, funny. I, yeah, I, 20... I, I, I will be honest. I have a list of honorable mentions. That is actually an honorable. Oh mention. my God. <laughs> and and, and I, 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 had had some... I will, I will, I had some 2015 games kind of under consideration because yeah. that was such a kind of transitional year. We had Saquon. We kind of started to see glimpses of what became the 16 and 17 teams in that season. So, you know, are those defining games in a sense? So we'll get into it a little bit more and you'll, you'll kind of yeah. see how I've, I've all settled out for me. 
Yes, I, I, have, I have three 2015 games, and um, Penn State not. lost two of them and almost lost. As honorable mentions, as games that okay, were significant okay. for, you know, are, aren't in this list, but were significant for two losses and one game that felt like a loss, which is the Army game. But for me, <laughs> um, I, I this is the one game on my list that the two Mats know about. And the number one game, and we're doing this chronologically. I'm not saying this is the most important game of the James Franklin era or anything like that. But the number one game, first game, whatever you want to say for me on my list, December 27th, 2014, Penn State against Boston College playing in the pinstripe bowl in Yankee Stadium. Nittany Lions win 31 to 30. Um, and, I, and I put this game down, and Matt, I'm going to start with you here because uh, – Matt, Matt the Younger was, uh, at the time, in high school, getting ready to come to Penn State. Was it a Penn State family? But, you know, at by this point, this was my first year out of Penn State. This I graduated in 2014, so I was there for... Matt wants to talk about a pretty bad season in 2015. You and I both got him beat. Uh, but I was there for some pretty <laughs> uh, rough years in Happy Valley. I know, Matt, you uh, graduated... Uh, graduated a few years ahead of me. You had been to bowl games before this one. You've been to bowl games since this one. But for me, the reason why this was the first game on my list as I went through the first season of James Franklin football was considering everything that had happened in the years leading up to that with what happened in 2011 with Coach Paterno's passing with Bill O'Brien getting hired and this roster just kind of, you know, they MacGyvered a roster together over the three seasons, essentially leading up to this to Hackenberg and Brent Adam Brenneman's recruiting class coming in to O'Brien leaving for an NFL job one year after getting to coach them to Franklin coming in having a bit of a rough go of things in that 2014 season, but knowing that bowl ban that got hit, that Penn state got hit with in 2012 got reversed during that seat. After the second game of the seat, Penn state had already been playing football That's when they learned. About. Yeah, they learned. Oh, by the way, you're playing for a bowl game this year to the fact that it wasn't easy for them to get a bowl game. I have never, in my time as a Penn State fan of the bowl games that I've traveled to since Matt, experienced an environment as joyous as, I don't want to say carefree, because it was really important to a lot of people to win that game, but there was just such a sense of appreciation among Penn State fans that this that they were in this football game, and then the fact that they won it, and won it in the manner they did with Sam Ficken kind of the poster child for the lowest on-field point that this program had post-2011. Like, just storybook stuff. Like, I'm still getting chills right now as I think about it. So my question kind of to you after that rant is, went to bowl games before, went to bowl games after, been to plenty of games in your life. Have you ever experienced an environment that just kind of joyous as – we experienced as Penn State fans in the Bronx that day. There's two things that I remember or that come to mind um, about the game, uh, the Pinstripe Bowl, is one, I had been to the previous bowl game after the, the 2011 season, the, the, the historic Ticket City Bowl, um, which oh, wow. regr 
my regrets of going to that game are are significant. Uh, <laughs> Um, but I, I was desperate to to get out of town um, back in the day for a variety of reasons, and um, I'll be damned if I was going to let uh, um, the the lack of prestige dissuade me from going there. And, and that was a trip, in so many words. But um, so that's one. It's just kind of the the juxtaposition between the atmosphere among Penn State fans in Dallas um, for that Ticket City Bowl, and then the the sense of joy like you said bill for among the fan base in new york that day the other thing is and bill you and i were were writing for black shoe diaries back then is the and it, this kind of i think speaks to that just joy and appreciation for the experience was at um i'm blanking on the name of the bar but we the the pregame jake's dilemma uh, uh, yes the festivities that we had in, in manhattan um before heading over to the bronx um where I don't think you or I or anyone else had much of an idea of how many people to expect. And then we kind of just took over the bar with probably a couple hundred at least. Uh, probably more than that when you count people that kind of came and went um, throughout the, the morning and early afternoon. Um, but it, it was, it's among games that I've been to, especially bowl games, it was, it was a very unique and, and, and one-of-a-kind type of atmosphere um, totally taking the, the game out of the picture. Just um, like I said, the, the appreciation for having the experience once again um, to, to celebrate the, the program, the team, the university in a positive sense. Um, and yeah. then to win the game the way they did um, with the, the walk-off extra point. Um, and then you think of things like, you know, it was kind of Chris Godwin's breakout. You kind of started to see the seeds of what was starting to be built, even if it was, you know, another rough year was ahead, but you started to see some of the, the fruits of, of James Franklin's recruiting and, you know, in a lot of cases, Bill O'Brien's recruiting as well, planting those, those young seeds that became the key pieces down the road. Um, that was kind of the day it felt like a lot of that started to, you could see it in a lot of that's hindsight talking now, of course, too, but you could see yeah. what was starting to, to be built. If you, if you look closely enough and now you look back on it, you really can see it, I think. Yeah, Chris Godwin and Deshaun Hamilton in that game combined for 14 catches, 191 receiving yards, and two touchdowns. Like they, Christian, Christian Hackenberg, 34 for 50, 371 yards, four touchdowns. And, you know, a thing we remember about Hack was his freshman year, the kid was awesome. And then I remember plenty of times during the 2014 season going, man, I just don't know if this is going to work. Like, I don't know if the, Christian Hackenberg, James Franklin marriage is necessary. It, it feels like one of convenience at this point. And Penn State started that season four and zero, lost four in a row, uh, won their next two games, Indiana and Temple. That Indiana game, they did everything in their power to not win it, and that got them to bowl eligibility, even though they lost their final two games of the year to Illinois and Boston, uh, Michigan State. So it was just such an incredible day, such an incredible game. Matt, like we mentioned, you weren't. Um, you you weren't enrolled at Penn State at the time. What do you remember about that game as someone who liked Penn State, watched it from afar, watched the previous couple of years from afar, but you you know, you weren't in Happy Valley every single day uh in the lead up to that one? No. Um I'm the I'm the sixth, I wanna say, member of my mom's side of the family to go to Penn State. Um and I was with the five others watching this game. Um, mm. And I remember I was waiting for my admissions decision. So like I was like a wreck the whole time. 
Um, and I just remember how happy just everybody was. Like, I, I don't think I fully understood how much it meant to everybody, like until watching that game. And, you know, obviously I, I grew up around the program. I grew up watching like 2012 as like a sophomore in high school as my favorite team ever. And the 14 pinstripe bowl was like the final send off for a lot of really important pieces to that special team back in 2012. It would have been Jesse James's last game. Um, oh my God. I had another person named right off the bat who I'm just totally blanking on right now. Um, Oh, somebody, somebody give me a hand here. Not the running backs, not the receivers. Um, well, we can't G- read your mind is the big problem. No, I know. And I know, I know. Um, Mike Hole. It was Mike Hole. That's who I was thinking of. Like for mm. a lot of these big name people and players who made a big impact on that 2012 roster, Zach Zwinak, that's who I'm thinking of too, although he was hurt, but he still got to go out there and enjoy that whole process. Like it was just cool to watch these players who I knew were part of Penn state at a very important time. Like the 13 class and the 14 class don't have a banner in Beaver stadium. The 2012 class does, but that represents the team more than that individual season to me, just with how that is up there in the rafters. So it was just really cool to see a lot of players that I grew up being really big fans of. And it was just really cool to watch it, you know, with my family. And then the admission decision came a couple weeks later. And then, then it was just a no brainer. Yeah, Bill Belton's uh, final game. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned Jesse James. I think that might have been Kyle Carter's final game. I don't remember. He came back in 15, I remember, because, okay. yeah, there was something that happened in the student section one time with somebody yelling at Kyle Carter when I was there. Uh, I think that was might have been like Naeem Mortman White. He came back in the subsequent years but kept getting hurt, so I yeah. think that might have been the last like time we saw Naeem. Like, just a, a lot of guys on that team. C.J. Alanian, uh was on that team. I think, uh, I can't remember if Jesse Della Valley came back, but a lot of guys who, uh, you know, they, you, it's unfortunate. They get lost to time a little bit, but mm-hmm. they were crucial parts of, uh, Penn state staying afloat for the years leading up to that. And the fact that they were, and then of course, Sam Ficken, like you, you Ficken, to, that's who the other one I wanted to make sure our name was. Yeah. Ficken yeah. Hit the, I mean, hit the game winning extra point was awesome. Yeah. I mean the, the 2012 Virginia game, uh, we'll, 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 we'll take a quick tangent and this will be mostly for, uh, Matt and I, since we were in the thick of it, uh, at this point and you were, well, Matt, you were a sophomore in high school, but like that 2012 Virginia game, I was convinced that that Penn state team, maybe they beat Navy, maybe they beat temple. If they won five game, four or five games that year, I would have been shocked. And a large part of that was because of Sam Thicken's performance. And for him, Matt, to have gone out the way he did, like, to this, there's a reason why to this day, when Sam Thicken gets picked up by an NFL team, and when Sam Thicken is out there kicking field goals for an NFL team, all of us Penn State fans are, like, sitting down on the couch, locked in, rooting for the guy, celebrating him. Just, like, what a story that dude was. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's... <laughs> um you caught me off guard. I was not prepared to talk about 2012 Virginia or Sam Ficken beyond the, the pinstripe bowl, but <laughs> um, no, I, I think it's, it's almost kind of a, a an example or a, um, a metaphor for that whole era is, is Sam Ficken, you know, from the lowest of the lows um, for a variety of reasons to not necessarily the highest yeah. of the highs, but kind of the redemption and the, the sense that, okay, everything's going to be okay. Um, you know, from a, a, a Penn State football standpoint that, you know, we're we're going to get through this, then ultimately we, we got through this um, 
from a, a health of the program standpoint, I guess. Yeah. And let's move on to the second game on my list. I don't have anything from 2015 on here. If you were a lifelong fan, uh, the 2015 Penn State team was your favorite team of all time. Like, much love and respect Tweet at me. to you. Tweet at me. We'll find uh, on Twitter. Sure, right. sure. You could, you could take it on that. But for me, the second most important and defining game of the James Franklin era has to be October 1st, 2016, Penn State 29, Minnesota 26 in overtime. I'll I'll tell my story of this game in a second, but Matt, we'll start with you on this one. Yeah. Uh, you, were, were you in the student section? Were you in the box? Like, what what do you recall about a game where, it, if you told me at halftime that James this was James Franklin's last top game as Penn State's head football coach, I would have said thank you. I I was in the student section. This was the year before I got hired by the blog. Um, I remember it was right around maybe like two and a half weeks after Les Miles got fired at LSU. And my friends were all like, well, when Franklin gets fired, we can just go hire Les Miles and he can be ready to go by the time like, you know, winter workouts start. Like, I just remember that people were so down bad on James Franklin and on this team. And everybody remembers the Saquon run in overtime. I made sure I brought it up on our last podcast, but Tyler Davis, like the walk-on former soccer kicker, like hits a 40 odd plus odd yarder to send the game even into overtime. Like it was a pretty good in caps, like a changing of the, or a passing of the torch from the roster being made up of these scrappy guys who normally wouldn't be able to play at Penn state to tie the game to Saquon Barkley, like one of the best players in Penn state history period to win the game. Like, I think that is a pretty good point where you can say, this is when the roster started to become an actual big time roster in the big 10. And it was just one of my favorite games. Like if they would have let us, I would have stormed the field. Like I, I thought it was that big yeah. a deal. Um, and it's just a, it's a fun memory to look back on, you know, all these years later and just think about how far we've come. Like Minnesota came to town, I think for the first time since 16, just last year. Um, and the game was over by like the third quarter. Like, it's just crazy to see just how, how quickly things change in this world. Yeah. If, people remember this one correctly uh it, it was so what happened in the lead up to that game gross game against kent, St kent state to start the season they lose a heartbreaker to pit and mike kosicki gives this really great speech really great quote to the media about how like there's too much pride too much fight in this team we're going to keep fighting for each other we're not letting this be a set blah 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 next week survive against a not great temple team one year after temple embarrassed them following week they go to Ann Arbor get their teeth kicked in by Michigan and then going into halftime it was 13-3 Minnesota and I, I believe they got booed I think there might have been some fire Franklin chance and then Matt there were there, were, there we go uh I, I I've said the story a million times of the block before like uh former blog member Pete Burks and I were talking and Pete I said to Pete and Pete agreed we need to get ready we need to like start preparing in the event that Franklin gets fired we need to maybe pre-write a post, maybe start thinking about like who we want. If we do a list of guys we want to hire and then Matt, I'll, I'll let you take it from here because there's one play that Matt didn't mention in his little spiel there as I mean, quietly might've been the most important touchdown of the entire season that didn't involve Grant Haley. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's the, the Irvin Charles, I think it's 80 yards. If my memory is right, his yep. really the, the one, the one play he ever made um, as a Nittany Lion um, that really 
kind of reignited the program in a sense, if you want to get really dramatic about it. Um, but I, I've told the story before to go along with you were just saying, Bill, um, Pete had written a it's time for James Franklin to go post that was in the editor that was ready to go that yeah. we were going to hit send on. I don't know if it was going to be that night or the following morning, but it, it was ready to go. We kept it in there for longer than I care to admit. I remember we made a big deal about it on our Slack at the time when we finally deleted it yeah. out of there a year or two I later. saw it. Um, yeah. Um, so um, yeah, the, the, the other thing about that game that I'm sure I've mentioned before too is uh, my, my day job um, had a, a situation at the time that had me um, watching that game on a job site on my iPad streaming through, um, through the Wi-Fi. So I was like a minute and a half or two minutes behind staying off Twitter and Slack and every form of social media that existed back then. Um, and like just like, killing myself to not look like, you know, I, I can know, I know what might happen. I know what might happen as we got into overtime and even late in the, in the fourth quarter, once Minnesota retook the lead and everything. Um, but it was just, there, there's so many, you know, um, you know, big statements you can make about it, but it really was the, 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 the beginning of this next era. You know, it, it, I think that first half was the end of that 2014 through 2015, early 2016 era of scrappy Penn state, you know, going to fight and claw for everything. They're undermanned to like Matt said, okay, they've got some guys now. And obviously Saquon is the guy, but you know, Trace McSorley had the big scramble late. Obviously, Irvin Charles, who didn't stick around, but was I think Emma. Oh, I forgot about that scramble, Matt. The setup oh, the was field, like forty I yards or about something. That. Yeah, that um, was wild. Yeah. But it was again. Irvin it, Charles was a four-star recruit. Yeah, and and whether not that you know he wasn't didn't end up being the guy, but he was like I said, emblematic of this group of guys that came in within a couple years of each other that became the the core of of that that roster that you know won the Big Ten and went to the Rose Bowl and won the Fiesta Bowl and all those things that happened over the next couple of years. Um, that, that's when it started was the, the yeah. early third quarter of that game. Yeah, Irvin Charles in his uh, Penn State career. Three receptions, 110 yards, one touchdown. That play, one reception, 80 yards, a touchdown. Like it, it History is just littered with guys who – had that one moment and they can live with that one moment being their moment forever. And this was certainly one of them and was a spark for Penn state winning the big 10, which we'll get to in a second for me. But first least, the least surprising answer, I think on this list, Saturday, October 22nd, Penn state 24, Ohio state number two. Uh, this was uh, Penn state after that Minnesota game beat up on Maryland, had a bye week. And then Matt, I, to this day, I mean, you would have you would have been in the stadium for uh, or in attendance for previous Penn State wins over Ohio State. This is the only one that I saw in person. And to this day, I go back and I watch the highlights of that game. That was for me the game where any concern that I had from the previous two years. Any like queasiness in my stomach I still had from those early couple season losses, it went out the window. And I went, no, this is what Penn State football is. Penn State football is a team that can compete, is a program that can compete with, beat, and, you know, find ways to win against the very best teams in college football. 
Yeah, and I think what was different about this, um, other the, compared to the other wins over Ohio State that you mentioned, I was there for the 2001 win um, when Zach Mills had like 9,000 yards all purpose um, in Joe's uh, 324th win to break Bear Bryant's record. Um, I was at the 05 game, um, which was kind of the there, – there are some similarities, I guess, big picture between that 05 game and the 16 game. But I think what was really different about the 16 game from those others was Ohio State was this national power. You know, the 05 team was good, you know, maybe even great. That 2016 team was just littered with NFL talent. You know, they were they went on to I think they made the playoff again that year. You know, they they still did a lot of big things. Um, they were in that group, and the Ohio State obviously still is in that group of the four to six programs nationally that are the best of the best every year, year in, year out. You just know they're going to be there. Um, and it wasn't pretty, <laughs> as, as we can all attest. We remember we watching this game back in 2020 when uh, during the height of the COVID shutdowns, um, we did one of our Saturday night rewatches. I remember thinking just how terrible the game was. I think awful. I, I think I Trace awful. I think Trace completed like nine passes. Eight for twenty three. Eight for twenty three. One fifty four. One touchdown. And, you know, Saquon didn't really do a whole lot, but they they did just enough to hang around. And they made, obviously made the play at the end. And the the one thing that sticks out to me was one of the, my favorite things I ever wrote for the blog, and it's one of the the handful of things that I I wish we had a way to to go back and and share from time to time was and it's it's a it was inspired by something that Chris Fowler said after the game that that the valley is happy again. And that it's such a simple term and a simple turn of phrase, but it really, I think, hit the nail on the head. You know, not that, you know, we were down and depressed and moping, you know, every day, but it was the first time in so long that there was this unbridled joy, you know, people storming the field. I was sitting with Nick, uh, my wife, now wife and I, it was actually Jackie's first, um, first real home game. She had been to the blue white game that spring, um, but that was her first Penn State regular season game. And so and Nick and Holly, Nick's now wife, were I think a row or two in front of us. And it wasn't, you know, after Haley scores, you know, we're all going nuts. And Nick and I are just kind of like grabbing each other and like, you know, oh my God, this is happening kind of thing. And it ends and we just hug. And it was just, you know, yeah. the, the most pure form of joy that I had had at a sports event, let alone a Penn State event in so long. And it really, not to get too dramatic and big picture here, but it was, it's the kind of game that makes you, that's why we watch sports, why we are, why we care so yeah. much is because of the power that it can do and that it can have over, in that case, a hundred some thousand people in the stadium that night. And you know, how many others watching and in, in parking lots and everything like that. Um, it was just, it's just kind of one of those surreal moments that, um, you know, you hope you get a few of them in your life you know, with your team. And, and that was one of them for us. Yeah. And I'm, I'm looking back on it right now. Ohio state was up 21 to seven in the, at the end of the third quarter, 21, seven trace touchdown early in the fourth quarter, Tyler Davis field goal, uh, kind of midway through the, the fourth quarter, make it 24, 17. And of course, Grant Haley, uh, it's blocked. If, if you guys remember correctly, this was 
Matt, how much money did we make off of the shirt uh, that was just printing the Urban Meyer quote? I wish they saved the, the white out for other games. I don't know how much money, but we, we sold, I think it was 150, 200 of them. I, I have a spreadsheet somewhere in the in the archive that shows how many of each shirt we sold. When we shut the, the store down, I wanted to kind of see what the, the grand total. It wasn't our number one bestseller. I, I want to say it was um, the one we printed after the Big Ten Championship game that year. And then the Tutty shirts. Mm-hmm. That you know, are, it, it's, that, it's that or Penn State. Penn State was also way up there. Neither, neither here nor there. We're getting too, we're getting too far off guard. It sold a lot, but Matt, you were, you were in the student section for that one, correct? I was. I was. So uh, I was. Yeah. All three of us were in the student in the stadium. I was Whoa. the complete opposite side, upper deck for that one. Matt was in his seat on the uh, east side of stadium. You're in the student section. As someone who is in the student section, just what do you remember about that day? What stuck out about that? What stuck out up about the lead up to the game? Do you remember? there being a feeling of they're go- they can do that. When did it become real to you as someone sitting in the student section, whether it was in the week leading up to it, while you were tailgating before the game, while you were watching the game, that Penn state was going to win this football game. Um, I thought they were going to lose. Uh, honestly, I, I, I never left the game early my entire time in college, but I remember when the punt on the, um, Blake, uh, excuse me, the snap on the Blake Gillikin punt attempt sails over Gillikin's head and he falls on in the end zone. And then I think it's 21-7. And I'm like, nobody yeah. ever, you know, recovers from that against Ohio State. Like, this is just going to make me mad now. Like, we, I thought we had all this momentum. And I, I, I turned to to my girlfriend and I'm like, look, we, we, we got to go. Um, and she goes, no, like, let, let's wait it out. So we waited it out. Lo and behold, I get to storm the field later that night. Um, and it was you know, I'll never forget it. Like I remember my girlfriend lived in Nittany apartments at the time and which is right by the stadium. And I remember I left and this was before I was on the beat. So I had like never really spoken to any of the coaches before and I'm walking and Terry Smith is walking back that way to drop a recruit off. I think at like his host's house. Cause that's where the athletes live back there. And I knew who Terry Smith was. I just said, you know, coach, great game. Um, you know, this, this is such a fun night. And he goes, I'm just so happy this town has something to cheer about. Like, and I'm like, wow, what a nice yeah. guy. Um, and I'm thrilled Terry's still here. Um, but I- I'll never forget like that interaction with Terry where it was like away from the stadium. It couldn't have been longer than like an hour and a half after the game had ended. And just like to see him out there, just like, you know, talking to the recruit about what this could, I don't remember who the recruit was. I'm sorry. I wish I did. Um, but that was just one of my, one of my favorite nights of college. And and one I'll never forget. Also the whiteout the year before was noon against Michigan. Um, so it was my first actually yeah. cool whiteout. Yeah. And I, the two things I remember from that game, uh, it, they were on either side of the block kick. One was, if I remember correctly on the drive where the, the, the block kick happened. If I remember correctly, or maybe it was on, like, I can't remember exactly which one it was. JT Barrett throws a bomb down the field and John Reed puts his hands out. Like it hits John Reed in stride, like on Penn state's four yard line. Yep. And instead of John Reed catching, it's one of the few times like, a, like it was like he was feeling a punt and he just dropped it. And if I remember correctly, that was on the drive where, uh, it was earlier in the drive and when the kickoff up, but it was just one of those moments where I went, Penn state couldn't get the break there. It's over. Mm-hmm. And then I remember after that, after the kick is blocked, Haley returns it. That fi- next drive for Ohio state ended up being their final drive of the game. It just, every single person on that Penn state team, it seemed like they got plus 10 skill attributes across the board. Oh my like, Evan Schwan could, was unblockable. 
They could have gone into the stands and grabbed any t- 11 fans, put them in pads and put them on the field. There was nothing Ohio State was going to do. There was even that like egregious, I think, uh, was it Jordan Lucas? No, not Jordan, Jordan Smith. Lucas. The missed Smith. Jordan P. Smith. Miss Pia that LeBron James tweeted about. It was that bad of a call, and it was a break Penn State guy. And like, I just remember Evan Schwan, Kevin Givens get that final set. I'm just running and hugging everyone I can. It's it was the happiest that I had been to that point as a Penn State fan until a couple of weeks later, the next game on my list, uh, Saturday, December third, in Indianapolis. Uh, Penn State 38, Wisconsin 31, Matt. Penn State wins the Big Ten for the first and only time under James Franklin. And you just black out, man. Like, you black out everything else. That game was the only thing in the world that mattered. And the biggest thing that I remember about that game, Matt, Penn State looked awful, awful in the first half of that football game. They were down 20 eight to seven 40 yard touchdown pass trace McSorley to Saeed Blacknall 28 to 14. I wasn't sitting with you, Matt. Uh, I, I was sitting with a couple of other of our friends, other folks that we know, other Penn state fans, not a single person in that stadium thought Penn state was going to lose that football game, even though they were down 28 to 14. Talking to me or him, Matt. Him, this is an even one. We went over this before the game. The even is flip. Oh, yeah. The even is me. But you, you teed up you. him, so I wasn't sure. Yeah, whatever. We're, we're what very talking? organized. Matt, go yeah, ahead. We... Um, yeah, so I, I, I thought I had a minute here. Um, no, it, it, it was. It, and I remember um, two, two things. I, I think I have two things for every one of these. Um, one, I think it was on the... It was maybe the play where they where Trace fumbled the snap or it was a bad snap or they went for it on fourth down around midfield on like a fourth and four-ish kind of play and didn't get it. And I was sitting in the, the last row at Lucas Oil and behind us is like this metal grate and I smacked it with my hand. I swear to God, I thought I broke my hand. Um, my wife thought I broke my hand. The friends we were with thought I broke my hand. I did not break my hand. Um, so th- that always sticks with me. And I remember looking around halftime at Twitter and just kind of strolling through and, you know, seeing what people had said and the Michigan fans and some of the, the Ohio state beat writers and, you mm-hmm. know, the, why is Penn state in this game? You know, they're, they're only here because of the fluke block kick. And I don't, no one was really saying anything, you know, they were just kind of getting their, they're firing off the takes as they, as people do. And it was, I don't know if it was the first play of the second half. It was early in the second half. On It was the, the second touchdown to, I believe, Blacknall um, on the, the post play where he, um, you know, catch and run for One play, 70 yards. yards we got a ball game in Naptown. Yep. Um, God, I don't remember any of that stuff either. I'm getting old. Um, but it was that moment where, like, they're, they're going to win this. I don't know how they're going to win this, but they're winning this game. They'd, they'd gotten a couple stops at the end of the second half or the end of the first half. They got the late touchdown and then they score early in the second half and it's, and it's on. You just know it's on. And what they outscore and what I can't remember what the, the, it was something to three in the second half. And it was just complete domination. And, and I remember, even mm-hmm. remember in that last drive for Wisconsin before they stopped on the fourth down deep in their own end. 
um, that you just that there was going to be a play made somewhere. And part of that was you knew Wisconsin didn't have the explosive offense that was going to, you know, hit the big play to retake the lead quickly. Um, you just had that feeling like we had had for two months or three months at that point. Someone's just going to make the play to win the game at some point, And sure enough, they do. Yeah. Matt, where did you watch this game? I watched this game. Um, I was living in on the seventh floor of Beaver Hill at the time. Ooh, I'm sorry. And my sister, who was in college at the same time as me, she had a friend on the fifth floor. So I went down, I watched it on the fifth floor um, of Beaver Hill. And what what happened after? Because Matt and I experienced Indianapolis. What happened uh, as someone who was a Penn State student at the time? What was it like in Happy? Were you guys storming Beaver Canyon? Like what, what was just happening in town af- during and after that football game? I remember I got out on the balcony of the apartment I was at and I was like yelling across the parking lot. If anyone lived in Beaver Hill, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The parking lot that faces, um, oh my God, whatever the other main street is in State College that goes the opposite way of the way coming in. Um, I've been gone for too long. College I Th- Yeah, thank you. Um, and I was yelling to my roommates and they came out and then slowly but surely a lot of other people started coming out on their balconies. And I had never seen like the, the Beaver Canyon like rush before. And then I just saw the Canyon start to flood with people. Um, and, and, you know, of course I went down and I joined in and, and it was just a really cool moment to watch everybody kind of collectively celebrate and, and lose their mind. And one thing I, I will never forget about that. And in that moment was so unique at that time, the college football playoff was in its third year, and there mm-hmm. had never been a conference champion with two losses. So there was this hope that, like, are we going to get in the playoff now? Like, I vividly remember, like, sitting there the next morning being like, I, I, I think we're going to get in. Like, they're going to let the conference champion in. Like, we just beat another top 10 team in Wisconsin. And then, of course, you know, we, we didn't. The two loss precedent's been set um, because of that. But I remember in that, like, very specific moment, people had no idea what was about to happen. They really believed we could have made, you know, been tapped for the playoff. And, you know, you can argue if they should have or not. That's a whole other podcast. But just in that moment, it was like pure elation and just excitement. Like that whole season felt like it was on house money. Uh, and to go out like that was just one of the, one of the cooler moments, I think, um, you know, of the past nine years. Yeah. And like it, part of the reason I have it on here for why it was so important, why it was so defining, obviously because for the really great reason, the really joyous reason of, only time Penn State's won the Big Ten under James Franklin, but then the really unfortunate and really gutting reason of Penn State becomes the first conference champion, first Big Ten champion to be left out of the playoff. And Penn State so far, best opportunity to be one of the teams of the field, got lost, lost in that situation. And, you know, we I, I think it's very easy for people to dwell on that, dwell on that as like Penn State's best chance. They you know, they kind of had it taken away from them, kind of didn't take advantage of it early in the season, blah, 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 blah. But I think you asked 95% of Penn State fans and they say they're the joy that they felt in that moment. And seeing James Franklin hold up the Big Ten Championship trophy before James Harbaugh did it. Like, it's just something that I will never forget. I don't think any Penn State fan will ever forget. And speaking of unforgettable things, game number five. Matt, real quick, I'm taking this one so you don't have to go three in a row. I'll take this one and then we'll we'll readjust after the ad read. Perfect. Uh, 2017, uh, a a season that was, uh, we'll we'll get to that in a second. Uh, September 23rd, Penn State 21, Iowa 19. Um, Oh, God. There are two things for 
Matt, in this game for me. Number one, for as long as I live, I never want to feel what I felt during that football game again. Just the dread. Because this was a game that happened in a season where we all thought Penn State very well could have won a national championship. Very well could have made the playoff. All that. And it seemed like, yeah, and they it seemed like they were going to lose that in Kinnick Stadium that night. And then the other thing, the thing that I will always remember, the thing that makes this game so important for, I think, a lot of Penn State fans, Saquon Barkley flips his commitment from Penn State to Rutgers. Saquon Barkley stays committed to Penn State after Bill O'Brien leaves because he believes in James Franklin. And we saw what the best version of the best player who has ever played under James Franklin was capable to do at the height of his powers. Real quick, Saquon committed uh, to James. I... Oh, he visited. You know what? He visited during the Michigan exactly. State, the Michigan four overtime game. That was, we'll talk about that off the pod. All right, go ahead, Matt. Um, I'm not proud of my behavior um, at at this game. Um, in hindsight, I am really not proud of my behavior. Um, we were on a canning weekend. It was when canning was still allowed, allowed for Thon. And we watched it at, at my friend's house um, with her family. And I was like a wreck. And everyone was like being really cool. And in my head, I'm like, everybody's, I'm like freaking out. I'm like pacing. I'm screaming in like a stranger's living room. Um, in hindsight, pretty embarrassing. Um, but hey, they won the game. Um, I just remember, you know, feeling dread. Um, I remember this is where I was like, okay, like, you know, this is, this is how this season ends. You know, you can't take a loss the rest of the year. Like the, this team isn't built to go undefeated, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then, it, you know, just, I think this is where the legend of Saquon Barkley really yeah. became permanent like I think he would have been remembered as like an all-time great uh even after because of like the Rose Bowl run and everything like that I think this is gonna have him remembered like as the best running back at least in my opinion to play at Penn State like you know he almost has the rushing record despite only playing here for three years like it's it's wild everything he was able to do um yeah you you, it's the the list of the greatest players in Penn State history it's like him LeVar Arrington uh you know John Capaletti Jack, Han- like it's not the guys Saquon's he has mentioned with are Hall of Fame level guys. Yeah, um, and I just I just remember the next day, um, I just scrolled Twitter uh, for just to read like just like people's takes. It was when people were so mad about it, like everyone was still thought Penn State was frauds. Like I remember I, I wrote a me- I think either myself or Tom wrote a mess boards post about it. Um, like it was just a phenomenal day of content the next day. Um, and in one of the, one of the best, I think you know, wins of the Franklin area. It was really cool to watch. A lot of really talented people make some big plays. Yeah, I, I'm. Uh, again, I I'm never going to forget. Josie Jewell won Big Ten Defensive Player of the Week that week, basically because he kept Saquon from getting 15 yards every time he touched the ball. And instead he got eight, nine yards every time he touched the ball. Like that's how Saquon was so good that a guy who only limited him to a first down every time he touched the ball was named the best defensive player the conference had that week. Uh, Matt, you and I would have been watching this uh, from couches somewhere. Uh, What what do you remember about this one? Were you there? No, I was not. You'll, you'll remember this when I start telling the story, but I was in Baton Rouge with my brother for the LSU-Syracuse game. Uh, my brother's a Syracuse That's alum, right. and we, we had planned a whole weekend oh, around wow. it. Um, the only live part of the game I saw was um, 
Iowa's drive to go ahead. This is all on the walk back from um, Tiger Stadium to where we had parked Um, because we had stayed in New Orleans. And so we were walking back to the car to drive back to New Orleans. Um, It's like, you know, midnight or whatever, 11 11 o'clock, I guess, because we're in central time. Um, And I've been following the game on my phone and everything and, and, you know, knew it was close, knew it was kind of one of those typical Kinnick games where you just, you, you never get the knockout blow that it seems like is inevitable. And so what, what it had been um, Akron Wadley who scored the go ahead touchdown on kind of the, I think it was a screen pass where he had the long um, catch and run. And that's a, that's a name I forgot. He was a good player. Um, he was awesome. Very, he was uh, awesome yeah. It was guy. Wadley. Um, and, and I were, I don't know, halfway between the stadium and our car at this point. And he scores, and I, I say some words that I can't say on here. I throw my hat down. My brother looks at me like, what is the, what the hell's wrong with you? The, the various LSU fans around us are looking like, what the hell is wrong with this guy? And, you know, we get back to the car. And I don't think the drive had started yet um, between the commercials and all the, the, the delay between the, the, uh, the go-ahead score. And we, we, we decide we're going to sit in the car and watch the end of the game on, on whoever's phone we were watching on. And I think it's when they converted the fourth down, um, the only fourth down other than at the very end that they faced the whole drive, where I think it was Blacknall that had the um, yeah. the it was. You know, little eight-yard yeah. slant or whatever it was over the middle. It's like, they might actually do this. And then you um, – I don't remember the order any of this happened, so so bear with me if anything that this that didn't happen in the order I say it did. But the, the Godwin catch where – Trace scrambles and hits him down the sideline. The Saquon play where it looks like they've got him dead to rights, five yards deep in the backfield, and somehow turns it into like a 15-yard gain and a first down. And <laughs> and then ultimately the, the the Johnson touchdown at the end, you know, the the you know, all, everything that happens from there with the shushing and Trace's celebration on the the, the two-point conversion just to end the game. And we're still sitting in the parking lot, mind you. Um Traffic has cleared somewhat. I think, you know, it, it just was kind of like this surreal moment. And it, it was like this moment of silence in the car between my brother and I. The phone's turned off at this point because the game's over. And we don't really say anything for a while. Um, and then we start talking about, oh, yeah, Baton Rouge was really cool. And it was fun. I would love to go back for a big game. We're, we're almost back to New Orleans that night. And if anyone's ever made the drive from Baton Rouge to New Orleans, you cross over the marshes and the delta You've got this big long bridge where you're just over the marsh for you know, 20 miles or something. And we're back on the other side of the bridge. And my brother goes, so if he didn't catch that pass at the end, where we're driving off that bridge, right? And, we, <laughs> and, he, and I, I kind of laugh for a second. Like, yeah, I, who knows? I mean, that, I wasn't driving off the bridge, mind you, but it was one of those like, kind of in a sense, like the Ohio state game where you hope you get a couple moments like that in your, your, lifetime as a fan where you experience that complete 180 of emotions from utter despair to complete jubilation in the course of like 10 minutes, however long that drive took. Um, and I remember I, did, I barely slept that night. I'm sitting on my phone in our hotel room, scrolling through, you know, catching up and everything that happened that night. And I remember saying something that following week to whoever that it really felt like after that game, that Penn state, this is a special year. This is going to be one of those special years. Um, and we all know what happened from there on out, but it was in that moment, it felt like every team that, that does something significant has a game like that. Right. 
has a moment like that yeah. where it feels like this is all going to slip away. And it felt like this was Penn State's. They got through it in a place where plenty of dreams have gone to die, including Penn State's, you know, in that case, nine years earlier. Um, and yeah, it was just, it was, I, I've loved this exercise of kind of going back through these. I didn't, you know, four of the five games that we've talked about were actually on my list, not to spoil anything. Um, and I'm, I'm thinking of things that when, as I was going through and creating my list that I hadn't even thought of, you know, where I was, what I was doing, mm-hmm. what I felt, who I was with. Um, this has kind of been a fun, fun trip down memory lane so far. Yeah. I, I watched this game. I was uh, watching at my dad's place and he went to bed uh, in like the fourth quarter because he's, he, he's in his sixties and when you're in your sixties, you fall asleep easily. And uh, <laughs> he, so he goes to bed, Penn state. I, I think he went to bed after uh, Iowa. Yeah. After the, the 70 yard Wadley touchdown to make it 15 to 13. And he like rolled over at some point. He like saw Iowa's second touchdown to go up 1915. He just turns the TV off. Cause I've, I've gone somewhere else and he wakes up the next morning. I will never forget this. He wakes up the next morning and goes, so that was tough loss. Was it? I was like, what? He goes, yeah, was did Penn state win that game? I went, yeah. Did you not hear me screaming? And he looked at me dead in the eyes with the look that only a father can give a son and said, I thought you were mad and that's why you were <laughs> screaming. And no, it was it, Penn, outside of the fact that Penn state was apparently a 12 and a half point favorite. And for, for some godforsaken reason, Whoa, Las Vegas what? There, Las, Penn state was a 12 and a half point favorite and Vegas thought there were the over under in that game was 53. Um, I, it's nice to know that Las Vegas had never watched a Penn State Iowa game before this, but uh, yeah, it was just an unbelievable game. The the performance by Saquon, as long as I live, I'm never seeing a Penn State player do that. Like I've seen Penn State players do incredible things. I've never seen a Penn State player just decide that on a day when nobody else has it, that Penn State's not losing this football game. And just as good of a performance as I'm ever going to see. But like Matt said, Things didn't quite go Penn State's way the rest of the season. And we have made an executive decision while we were yammering here, folks. We're going to cut this into a two-part podcast. So we did five games, the first five games, the five first five important games of the James Franklin era. We're cutting it here. We're going to do the second half. Uh, keep an eye out on your podcast feeds, on YouTube, whatever, for that. We're going to take care of a little bit of billing right here by making sure that our friends at Homefield Apparel don't get mad at us for this decision that we made. Uh, Matt, you just DM me, DM me in Slack. Yes, Matt, we're doing the Homefield read here. I got you. Uh, I got you. Listen, we, we we like getting paid, and we get paid by our friends at Homefield Apparel. If you're a collegiate sports fan of the internet, you are surely aware of Homefield Apparel. If you are not a premium collegiate apparel brand based out of Indianapolis, I am currently wearing Homefield gear, my Penn State 1986 uh, national championship shirt. Uh, either of you guys wearing Homefield gear right now? You know it. I'm hey. rocking my uh, my Penn State old like Lion Shrine logo shirt. All, all my home field shirts are dirty, and I have a two-month-old daughter, and don't have time to do laundry. 
yeah, I, I wore a home field shirt for each of the last two days and I just took it off and replaced it with another home field shirt. They are comfortable, they're unique in the designs. They take the time to make sure you feel a little bit closer to your school, make you a little more curious about your school, other schools, make you want to go out there, learn a bit more about the world of college athletics. So much really cool stuff out there, including new pieces of gear in their Penn State line on top of the 15 pieces of apparel that they already had in their Penn State line. There are t-shirts, there are crewnecks, there's a quarter zip, there are joggers. There's so much good stuff for Penn State or for a school other than Penn State. If you want to, you know, I know there are plenty of Penn State folks out there who have family who went to a place like Slippery Rock. They have a really great line of Slippery Rock gear. They have gear for so many different schools. Head over there, check out what Homefield Apparel has. And if you are a new customer, you can use the promo code ROARLIONSROAR, one word, all uppercase to get 15% off of your first order. Again, if you are a new customer, use the promo code ROARLIONSROAR, one word, all uppercase for 50% off of your first order. Thank you as always to Homefield Apparel for sponsoring the podcast. And for now, that's it for the podcast. We are, again, cutting this uh, fun little game exercise, whatever you want to call it, into two parts. We should have known, remember, out. some dudes would take two hours. We really should have known. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're 56 right now. Keep an eye out for part two of this, which will be coming. And I would say is going to be a little less optimistic uh, in the coming days. But for now, thank you as always for always uh, listening to Roar Lions Roar. Make sure you subscribe wherever you go and get your podcast. If you could leave us a five-star review, please go and leave us a five-star review. If you are over on the YouTubes, you know, give us a subscribe over there. Like our page, hop into the comments, talk with Penn State fans about just general Penn State things. Make sure you are following us over on Twitter at RLR blog. And one last time, thank you very much to Homefield Apparel. Wow, no love for Threads, Bill. No, yeah, no love for threads. Uh, thank you again to Homefield Apparel for sponsoring the podcast. Again, promo code Roar Lions Roar, one word, all uppercase, for 15% off of your first order if you are a new customer. One last time, thank you very much for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Roar. For Matt DeBear, for Matt Filipovitz, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone. Go State.